All right, for the last few weeks, we have tried to get through a topic with you, Dennis. Good afternoon, by the way. Good afternoon, Mark. And we kind of started talking tomatoes, and we, 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 did, just, we, we never did. ever got right through everything. No, so. no, look, it's, 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 it's generated an unusually large amount of interest. So it warrants us squashing the tomato a bit more today. And for those who missed part one of this a couple of weeks ago, in short, have more pizzas because you've got the tomato in the correct, heat. It's correct, hot. Correct, correct. And uh, you'll, uh, you'll live a long and fruitful <laughs> life. All right, Health Naturally is the name of the game. 49216216 if you'd like to have a chat to uh, Dennis Stewart this afternoon. And Dennis, looks like we're in call mode, mate. Ready to go? Okay. <laughs> Good afternoon, Judith at Valentine. Uh, a scalp problem that uh, Dennis uh, spoke to you about a little while ago. What's the story there? Yes, I didn't get all the information. And I was wondering, if you could buy, Dennis, if you can buy GA cream at the chemist or your shop at Vitality. Uh, um, um, you would be only able to buy GA cream from my rooms in um, New Lambton, at Alma Road, New Lambton. It's a, oh. it's a product that I make um, and dispense for clients and patients. It's not a, a product that is manufactured for retail or even wholesale. So if you're after the GA, you'd have to go to, to 39 Alma Road and uh, get it from there. All right, best of luck with everything, Judah. For not, a quick call is a good call, Dennis. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Why 49216216, that's the number to call today. Uh, in the meanwhile, it looks like we're back into topic mode. So yep. uh, we started with the tomatoes and yep. we we're just finding all of these other things that uh, have got quite a lot of other uses for us. Yeah, look, I, it's, it's been an interesting experience, this discussion. Who would have thought there would have been um, so much interest both on the phones uh, here and in, in my rooms from people that have been ringing up uh, wanting uh, information about the potential of this food in, uh, to function as a, uh, a medication. And it's triggered a, an interesting line of thought that many people have yet to grasp the statement that was made a couple of thousand years ago by Hippocrates that Food is your best medicine. They've had plenty of time, haven't they? They have indeed. <laughs> but what we, what uh, talking about uh, this particular food has done is at least make people aware of the fact that uh, there's more to a food than just uh, its nutritional value. That a food can contain uh, what we refer to in in uh, chemistry and in phytochemistry, particularly as an active principle. And it's good for listeners to realise that there are many foods which bear health potential, which we overlook, particularly at our loss. And people might say, well, with reference to tomato, you made mention of its major active principle, was which is lycopene. And that is correct. And it's a good example of, of a food that we eat reasonably frequently, but yet most frequently not appreciating, A, the way how to use the food successfully, and the conditions for which it can be used medically. And I thought very quickly to just go over this, uh, the first thing to realise about the tomato is, yes, it's a nice a salad food which could be uh, taken with lettuce and other things on a hot summer's day, um, but the way in which we normally eat the tomato pretty well leaves behind a lot of its active chemistry and its health benefits. I've said on the program before about this particular food that it needs to be understood that A, the riper the food is, the higher the level of active chemistry within it. So a pale anemic, 
tomato. It might taste okay, but it is deficient in the large amount of health benefits that it can have if it is purchased very, very ripe. And I'm going to put a plug in here for those, uh, how can I call them, outlets that still sell tomatoes of the old breed, Oxheart, etc., which are big, which are fleshy, which are very, very red and full of active chemistry, particularly lycopene. The other thing about um, the tomato, if one is going to use it as a food to help uh, manage, if you like, a preventative program, uh, say against prostate cancer, one needs to know that one has to cook the tomato. Tomato is harnessed best medically when it is understood that it must be cooked in order to liberate the chemistry of the food and it is best cooked, as I think I said last week, in something like olive oil. So fried tomatoes are a good example of a way of harnessing the potential medicinal properties of that remarkable food. I think you're also a bit, having yourself on a bit earlier, Dennis, when you said that even if it's, it's pale, not ripe state, it might taste right now. They've got to be ripe to taste good anyway. I so. think so, but why, <laughs> why have we suddenly, late in the day in the last couple of decades, been prepared to accept the tomato as a pale, anemic uh, entity that you can throw at a brick wall and it bounces back at you? <laughs> My point here is that that is perhaps not the best representative of the tomato with its high lycopene content. And lycopene, remember I said last week, is one of the major nutrients called up in the book entitled Foods to Fight Cancer by the two Canadian cancer specialists, Dr. Bellevue and Dr. Gingras. So it's an important topic, but I say again for those males in particular who want to take advantage of what I've been saying about the potential of lycopene and tomato, it must be taken seriously as an ongoing supplement and this is where perhaps the purchase and use of lycopene in an encapsulated form is an easier way of getting a regular daily intake of this major chemical constituent from the tomato. This is not putting down the, the, the frying, the cooking of the tomato or, or using things like uh, tomato paste which is rich in lycopene but if you are a male and you are concerned about uh, prostate cancer and looking at perhaps a complementary medicine to what you might be using, perhaps the best way is to purchase lycopene in a standardised dose and take it on a daily uh, basis as the, uh, the package would show. That is the way that I would be using it if I was wanting to harness the remarkable properties of this remarkable food. All right, we'll continue that conversation with uh, Dennis Stewart. Uh... But, Dennis, we'll continue the chat on uh, tomatoes in the meanwhile, and yep. apparently there may be a little bit of a relationship to uh, tomatoes and blood pressure. They may be able to help. Yeah, look, um, put it in perspective here. What we're talking about, as, as we spoke uh, already, we've mentioned that tomato is tomato, that's fine, and one can harness its benefits in the correct preparation of it, particularly when taken regularly. But if it's going to be used as a medicinal agent, we then must, as I've already done today again, emphasise that the active principle, the thing that gives it its potential as a therapeutic agent is a substance called lycopene. Now, lycopene has also been shown to have potential as a complementary medicine in managing 
blood pressure conditions. Now, this immediately will, will raise the eyebrow, particularly uh, those that are sceptical uh, about a lot of what I say here, and perhaps rightly so, because we are in no way at all encouraging individuals to think that they can manage their blood pressure themselves and that uh, there's no need to see a healthcare professional. That's wrong. Our doctors are our guardians, our doctors are our prime contact therapists, and our doctors rightly are the ones that make decisions about blood pressure management, blood pressure treatment. But uh, a, a good doctor, in my opinion, would be the first to encourage his patients to look at ways of lifestyle alteration, dietary change, and food supplementation as a means of addressing a, a blood pressure problem, particularly where the prescribed medication was not holding it or in danger of having to become more complex. I love how you'd slipped in, Dennis, that, and essentially we've got to do our part too. <laughs> well, well, this, I'm glad you picked up on that, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's not my first week, mate. Don't worry. Okay. So what, what we're saying here is that, yeah, look, there are ways and means of working against blood pressure elevation so long as it is monitored uh, properly and under the care of our good GPs. Let me just say here, Mark, that I'm a great exponent of demythologizing a lot of medical practice. Now you say, what do you mean by that? I mean... D-E hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I like to take away a lot of the mystery that has surrounded um, mainstream medicine for too long. Um, the way in which it was seen almost as a closed shop and a lot of the procedures were seen to be only those things that only a, a medical practitioner could understand. Technology has demonstrated otherwise. And I'm a great encourager for people to begin to do things like taking their own blood pressure. I'm one that also believes strongly in people learning how to take their own blood sugar levels. Now, no GP, in my opinion, in his or her right mind, would see that objectionable. The technology available today and the ease at which an ordinary layperson can take periodically their blood pressure and with a chart or a diary or a list, take that in and discuss it with their GP can in fact help in their management. And many patients of mine in particular do that and bring in their, uh, their, their chart or their diary as a means of indicating what sorts of levels they're getting. This is particularly important, Mark, when you get people that are on the borderline of being prescribed antihypertensive medication, the idea of getting them to become involved, regularly taking their BP, not every day perhaps, but fairly regularly, that gives them a bit of a handle on what's going on. And particularly their, their GP, in having given to the patient or the, the client who's interested in this, the, the level that they should aspire to. That, that is a big breakthrough. Interesting also, what, what has been shown, and I've used this as an example when I was lecturing on this topic years ago. In the US years ago, they did an experiment. And what they did, having, noting that um, American um, Negroes um, were disproportionately represented as blood pressure patients. And so an experiment was carried out where um, children of, of Negroes 
went home with a little blood pressure unit and they began to take the blood pressure of their father in particular. And what was shown, and this was written up in a journal called Modern Health, what was shown was that when people began to become involved in taking their blood pressure and become interested in it and saw how their blood pressure went up and down, over a period of time, just by becoming involved, becoming interested, they were able to drop their blood pressure by a useful number of points. So even just the process of saying, yes, look, I can, with this equipment, get a good idea of my blood pressure, that is therapeutic in itself. It's what I call demythologizing a lot of blood pressure because in the past it used to be associated with the with the, 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 the stethoscope around the, the shoulders and, 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 and uh, the pumping up, a, a ritualistic procedure, and the patient would sit there trembling with what finding was going to be given. Look, I'm being a bit cynical. <laughs> well, and of course, and you're right, and you're only, and at that point they're only getting their blood pressure at that snap point in time. Correct, correct. Where if you're monitoring yourself over a bit of time, yeah. you know, you get an idea if it's going up or down. And, and of course, Dennis, you also get to be, you know, play doctors and nurses at home. Well, that, that's what happens when my grandkids come down, they go into my office not not to read my books or anything yeah. but to, to lock in and take each other's blood pressure now look most most cardiologists out there will roll in their grave with what i've said but i believe well not the alive ones <laughs> believe, the ones that can hear you mate they won't be <laughs> that wasn't said as a pun i believe very firmly that getting people involved in aspects of medical care mm. particularly with the technology we've got is foundational, and I see nothing wrong with that. So this is where, getting back to the topic, the use of lifestyle modification and the ah, use... Ah, back to us doing yeah, our bit again. Our see, bit again, yeah. and the use of certain supplements. In this case, getting back to lycopene, hmm. lycopene has been shown to have a useful antihypertensive capacity. It has been shown in, in and written up in journals as an agent that has a role to play as a supportive or complementary medicine in perhaps stopping the spiral in the patient's blood pressure, stopping the addition of, uh, of additional medications when used as an alternative or complementary medicine. People say, where's your evidence for that? In a book that's a very, very good book to read, a book entitled Take the Pressure Off Your Heart by Robert Kowalski, he quotes a case, or not a case, he quotes the examples here, of work that was done by a Dr. Esther Peran. This was done at the University of the Negev in Beersheba in Israel. And this lady and her colleagues experimented with lycopene and demonstrated in a, in a clinical trial, a number of clinical trials, which were subsequently given credibility by written up in such journals as the American Heart Journal. She demonstrated that lycopene had a significant role in moderately reducing both what's called the systolic and the diastolic blood pressure levels. And her point was that this may have a role to play in being an early, useful, natural medication to stop the patients, if you like, drifting onto the need for conventional blood pressure medications, or it could be used as a lycopene in a particular dose, I think it's about 30 milligrams of lycopene a day in an encapsulated form, 
it could be used as a complementary medicine given to a patient whose doctor is on the verge of prescribing uh, another blood pressure medication. Something like this could be a useful supplement, no way at all taking away the doctor's ability or discretion, giving to the prescribing doctor or giving to the patient an option to prove that using lycopene under the monitoring of the healthcare professional may keep that blood pressure where it should be. That's a pretty potent substance, uh, potentially, by the sound of it, Dennis. So thanks for that. (laughs) Just the name of that book you've been referencing there. I know you've been in that for the last 10 minutes. Take the Pressure Off Your Heart. Oh, it sounds sounds like an album name of a boy band, doesn't it? That's their recent album. (laughs) This this was given to me, by the way, by a patient of mine back in uh, 2009. And it was given to me because he himself had demonstrated the worth of this book and the information in it, Mm. medical information written for the layperson, part of my attempt to demythologise medicine to get back to the level where people could understand it, and they are. They are doing that. D-E hyphen. uh, Demythologise. Exactly. (laughs) Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart on 2NURFM. Uh, maybe, uh, Dennis, you, they might want to be asking a little bit more about, we've sort of talked about tomatoes and mm-hmm. blood pressure, mm-hmm. and I've got the feeling that we may just have to look to our plate to find a few more answers here. Look, that's a very good way to put it, Mark. I'm very impressed. Yeah, well, you, you come in with a bloody food topic. <laughs> comes in with a food topic. I, I'm here for another hour, so, like, I can't eat. So <laughs> we might as well learn about the medicinal properties. <laughs> well... well Let's let's look at this topic a little bit further about... Uh, With a bit of luck, it'll be a food I don't like, so it won't matter. <laughs> what, 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 what other things can we take on board to seriously contribute to helping our blood pressure? Uh, look, I was, uh, there's numerous things we can do, but every healthcare professional would say, uh, well, I think they would say, that, that blood pressure can respond to not only supplements... Uh, and uh, and particular supplements, but it responds generally to lifestyle modifications. For instance, uh, us doing our for instance, <laughs> for instance, for instance, it it is pretty well recognised that the Mediterranean diet, which we speak frequently about on this program, has demonstrated uh, a great deal of health benefits, uh, and one of those is uh, a statistical fact that the blood pressure of people living in a Mediterranean culture and eating Mediterranean food and working with that diet have a lower blood pressure reading than, say, we urban Anglos. Uh, So, again, I would have to give a push for the fundamentals of what's called the Mediterranean diet, which essentially is a diet structured around plenty of vegetables, uh, fish, and nuts, fruit, plenty of good wine, and stacks and stacks of olive oil. Now, that's being very blasé and very simplistic. The Mediterranean diet can be looked at on, on the net or wherever, but it is characterised by a lot of things that are not characteristic of the Anglo-Celtic diet. For instance, there is no, nowhere near as much red meat in the Mediterranean diet. And there is a a strong viewpoint amongst many health uh, practitioners that the overemphasis on red meat in our culture may have a contributing factor to to the level of hypertension that is characteristic 
of urban Anglo-Celtic um, cultures. I subscribe to that, that a, a movement away from the emphasis on red meat protein and a movement towards vegetarian food and protein is a step in the right direction, I believe, to moving towards a blood pressure that is perhaps a little bit more favourable and can be noted and uh, encouraged by the healthcare practitioner. Uh, that is something that can, can be done. The Mediterranean diet, the vegetarian emphasis, uh, a, a reduction of the content of red meat in the diet and an appreciation of other forms of protein that can uh, do that job. That is a major movement in the right direction. All right, and uh, you mentioned hypertension yeah. there, so just as if it was the perfect call coming through. G'day, mm. Greg at Rutherford. Uh, hypertension is on your mind today, Greg. What's happening? Yes, um, I uh, heard tell uh, that uh, beetroot and um, apple cider vinegar. Mm -hmm. Beetroot has some good properties for yes. uh, lowering blood pressure and uh, many other properties as well. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on it, Dan? Oh, okay. Um, well, with reference to apple cider vinegar, um, nearly everyone uses apple cider vinegar and my dear old mother used it right up until the end and she lived to a very, very old age. So whilst I may not be able to uh, scientifically or otherwise defend um, the usage of apple cider vinegar, I'd be a fool not to recognise that it must have some health benefits due to the number of people that use it, swear by its benefits and particularly the experience of my dear mother. Now, with reference to the beetroot, that's an interesting uh, food indeed. It is uh, fill, the, the colour of the beetroot indicates the presence of a group of active chemicals. Now, we've used that term today with reference to the tomato and lycopene. The lycopene in tomato is an active constituent. Well, in the beetroot, the colour of the beetroot bears testimony to what are called anthocyanidins. These are a particular group of flavonoid glycosides, which have multiple health benefits, uh, particularly as, as antioxidants, and uh, also in, in a great value, anthocyanidins are very, very valuable for protecting the, the smaller blood vessels and are used a lot in, in the uh, treatment or prophylaxis or general tonic benefits that they have. On, on the eyes and the things like bilberry and blueberry uh, share a common uh, anthocyanidin content with the, with the beetroot. But it might interest listeners to know that beetroot is popularly used, particularly in European cultures and in particularly Germany, as a, the basis of a vegetable juice which is used, which is used to treat uh, very, very serious diseases. Now, I'm not going to talk about individual diseases, but listeners can pick up what I'm trying to say, that the, in Europe, the beetroot has been seen as a profoundly useful food to take when one is fighting uh, very serious uh, conditions. And there again, the juice of the, of the beetroot is that which carries with it the active principle. So I would support your use of it, and I would support your use of apple cider vinegar. What I would suggest to all listeners who are interested in, in, in apple cider vinegar, etc., is look at the history of it. There was a book written um, by an American doctor, Dr. Jarvis, um, and the book was entitled Folk Medicine. 
I have a couple of copies of it. It's, it still would be available, particularly in second-hand bookshops. It was published by Pan Publishers originally. Here was a, a young a graduate doctor that went to a place called Vermont in the U.S. And, and noticed the health of the people there and noticed the way in which they not only used apple cider vinegar in their own dietary uh, procedures, but they used apple cider vinegar as a standard medication for any of their animals that got sick. And their animals recovered remarkably quickly, so quickly, that he himself became a believer in some of the health practices of the rural community of Vermont. And just for the sake of listeners, the interest of it uh, uh, was such that when my dear wife and myself um, were goat keepers, yes, listeners, goat keepers, they were the days, they were the days, uh, when we had goats, we took on board the information of Jarvis in folk medicine, when we had any goat that had mastitis, we would give them a a drink of apple cider vinegar and molasses with remarkable recuperative benefits. And also the improvement in their general health was such that it became a standard treatment based on apple cider vinegar and molasses. Now that probably has no particular bearing on, on our health as human beings, although one never knows. Almost ready to wrap things up uh, with Dennis Stewart at Health Naturally, who's uh, basically been, uh, well, all over the plate today in our pots and pans, a lot of time with the tomato. We even went to the beetroot there for a while, Dennis. We did indeed. Lovely food. Mm. Lovely food. Um, in closing, any others you want yeah, to just throw a little bit at our way? We, we, we mentioned the Mediterranean diet and my, my enthusiasm for emphasising the importance of olive oil again not just as something to enjoy as a food. Um, Certainly it it is that, it's an enjoyable food, and I see it as a food, but to emphasise that it is probably the most important, the most important oil, in my opinion anyway, on the planet, and that it is riddled with health potential, and it's the core of the Mediterranean diet, and basically... What I'm saying here is the more olive oil one eats or enjoys, the healthier one will be, and I say that seriously. It is the great protector against gallbladder colic, gallbladder disease, gallstones. It is a a great protector against uh, high prosidity and some levels of reflux. It is a great protector against atherosclerotic conditions which uh, are are wretched conditions associated with our lifestyle. It has numerous benefits, particularly cardiovascular benefits. Not only is it the core of the Mediterranean diet, it's the core of much thinking today as a food that can address many of the diseases that I keep saying are uniquely Anglo-Celtic and urban. I've only got 20 seconds for Ken on the Mid-North Coast. Your hypertension question, Ken, in 20 seconds for us. Hello. Hello, Ken. We've got 20 seconds. Ken, what's your question? Um, I had high blood pressure and had six operations in hospital, and every time they said your blood pressure's high, and in the last operation, I went away for a month and took psyllium husk and exercise, and it came down. Dramatic. How about that? Lifestyle modification did the trick. There we go. Thanks so much, Ken. We did talk about psyllium husk a couple of weeks ago as a part of this uh, very conversation. Indeed we did. All good stuff, Dennis. It's all fantastic. Well, we're getting there. And and what's more, people are listening and people are getting benefit from some of the stuff we talk about. We're not just uh, 
handsome individuals. Well, I oh, hell you no. are in particular, <laughs> but we've got a little bit to contribute. Right, so you're saying I just do that part, you do all the rest. Well, it's division of labour. You look the best. It's a lovely little uh, black t-shirt you've got on, and it's your blue today, and your, mm. and your full head of black hair. Oh, I got that, and, and uh, everything that's coming up this weekend for you. Oh dear, dear. Thank you so much, Dennis. <laughs> you have a great weekend. Thank you, Mark.